you would think that if God calls you and anoints you to do what he has prepared for you to do, that things would just sort of fall into place for you, right? You would think if God calls you a man after his very own heart, that he would pave a smooth path for you, you would think that it would be easy. But when a young boy named David stood in a valley and looked in the eyes of a nine-foot, nine-inch giant, it probably crossed his mind that this was not going to be as easy as he had originally thought. It will not always be easy. In fact, there was something standing in between his present and his future. There was something standing in between where he was and where he knew God was calling him to go. He had in front of him a big, hairy problem. You ever had one of those? A big, hairy problem, a giant, and his even had a name, Goliath. And I think you probably know exactly how that feels. Like David, you feel called to something. You sense a purpose. Uh, You have a direction, a trajectory, the way that you feel that your organization or your company or your family or relationship or your team or your school uh, needs to go or, or maybe just yourself. Some of you feel called to lead. And we're calling this series Learning to Lead because obviously David was a king, so he was a leader, so we can learn some things from him. And I, I happen to believe that the world needs godly leaders. We need godly leaders in our schools, in our community governments, in businesses, uh, in neighborhoods, in churches. But most importantly is we all need to be good leaders to lead ourselves, Because you may never, ever lead a corporation or a company or an organization, but you will, till the day you die, have to lead the person in the mirror. And I want us to be able to do it, to do it well. So if you think about leadership as kind of like a a vision of seeing where you could go from where you are, seeing where you could be, and whether that's in your organization or in your personal life, in your relationship with God and your faith, uh, sometimes, sometimes in between where you want to go and where you are, you have a big, hairy problem. You have your own giant. It's this obstacle in front of you that's stopping you, that's thwarting where you want to go, and sometimes you feel like you can't overcome it, and maybe even yours has a name, like a mountain of debt, or a mistake from your past, or a few years of education that you can't figure out how to pay for, or fit in your schedule, or a pending court case, or a relationship tension, or consequences from a past action or competition you're up against, or slander that someone has made against you, or an addiction, or a generational family dysfunction, or test results, or treatment, or a pending surgery, and maybe you even have a person in between you, where you are, and where you feel called to go. And it feels like a giant. 
So if you have ever felt like that, if you have ever felt like there is something standing in the way from where you are and where you feel called to go, if you've ever felt like you have one of those big, hairy problems, today is for you. But I've got some bad news for you, okay? God doesn't make problems smaller. I don't like this. I don't like this. But this usually just isn't God's way. God doesn't usually make our problems smaller. And I want our problems to, I, want, I don't know about you. Can I just have a confession? I want my problems to just disappear. Poof, gone. No problem. Anybody else? I want them to just disappear. Just go away or shrink so tiny that I don't even notice them. But this isn't God's way. God doesn't make our problems smaller. And here's what we're going to find in the story. He doesn't need to. We want him to but he doesn't need to. So, this is one of the most famous stories about uh, in the Bible that, uh, that you would ever hear about or read. It's certainly the most famous story about David. In fact, even if you have very little experience with church and don't know much about the Bible, so glad you're here today to learn and grow in your faith, you've probably heard this term. It's a term used to describe any underdog story it's, it's, we just say it like, it's David and Goliath, right? That's what we use that terminology when a little bitty school plays a really big giant school in a sport or when a little company takes on the big national corporation, right? We say this is a real David and Goliath story. Uh, that's just what we say. But there's an important backstory to understand the story of David and Goliath. So long before David comes along and kind of has his moment in the sun, he was not the first king of Israel. And if you were here last week, I just let me help refresh your memory a little bit. Or if you weren't here, uh, let me kind of catch you up to speed. Israel begged, pleaded with God for a king. They wanted to be like all the other nations. And God gave them a king named Saul. He looked the part. He was a head taller than everybody else. He was kingly. And Samuel was the prophet, the last judge of Israel. There was a period in Israel before they had kings called judges. And then they had a period where they had kings, but then they had kind of these spiritual mouthpieces. So Samuel was the last judge, but the first prophet. And it would be through Samuel that God would anoint and choose Saul as king. But after a very short time, it begins to not go well for Saul. And God speaks to Samuel and through Samuel. And Samuel informs Saul that God has removed his favor and removed his blessing for him. He still has the office of king. He just doesn't have the blessing of God anymore. And God sends Samuel to a little bitty town called Bethlehem. Ever heard of that town? He sends Samuel to a little bitty town called Bethlehem, and he says, I want you to go and find this man named Jesse. And he chooses the youngest of Jesse's eight sons, a boy named David, who's young, little, he's the smallest. He's probably only about 15 years old at the time. But God says he's got heart. So Samuel brings him forward, and in the presence of his father and the whole town and all of his older brothers, he anoints him the king of Israel. 
And then guess what happens? He gets a job as a musician in the king's palace. <laughs> That's right. He's anointed the future king of Israel, but instead of being king immediately, he gets to be a musician in the palace. Saul is still king. Just because David has been called by God doesn't mean that it instantly happens. And isn't that a hard lesson? A prophet might come to your house, anoint you as Israel's one true chosen king, and call you a man after God's own heart, and you still might have to wait on God to do what you think God has called you to do. So just a question, and I'm going to ask a lot of questions this morning, okay, So because they're just for you to answer, because only you can answer them. Are you willing to wait while God works? Are you willing to wait while God works? Are you willing to trust God in the waiting? God might want to move in the waiting. For David, this waiting will be some of the most profound times of his life. This private conversation that Samuel has with Saul is driving Saul mad, literally, like literally. He can't stop thinking about it. It's not like Samuel announced to Israel that God's blessing. It was just a conversation between Samuel and Saul, and it's driving him crazy thinking about it. The Bible describes it as an evil spirit. He's losing his mind. Uh, is it anxiety? Is it guilt? Is he really possessed by some kind of spirit? Is it depression? Is it psychosis? I, who knows? But he is going through some kind of mental anguish at this thought that he still has the office of king, but not the blessing of God. And one of his servants has an idea. One of his servants says, hey, um, why don't we hire someone to play the harp for you so that when these anxious thoughts come and you, you get this feeling and you're really tense and, and you're kind of losing it and, and he'll just play the harp and that'll make you feel better. It's kind of like when I turn on Pandora, classical music for studying radio. Anybody got their, their, their Pandora, their Spotify that you listen to, right? You got your, I love classical for studying. I turn that on while I'm writing messages sometimes or sometimes while I'm reading. So it's just that thing, it's just kind of like, okay, it'll relax you. And the servant then says, and I know a guy. He's one of Jesse's sons. Uh-oh. His name's David. Great heart player. And then, and then he says this. This is what the servant says. He is also... A valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome, and the Lord is with them, and a musician. Ladies, this is called husband material, right? Like, hello. I mean, this guy is, has got it all, and I'm just thinking, oh, Saul, if you only knew. So, you need to know that part of the story because do you see what's happening here? Do you see what's setting up? This is going to be a soap opera. 
This is going to be a soap opera. You have a king who knows that the blessing of God who has been taken from him, but none of his nation knows that, and he doesn't know who else is going to be. In fact, Samuel tells him at the time that God has chosen a man after his own heart, but doesn't tell him who it is. And now you have David who knows that he is the future appointed and anointed king of Israel, and he gets a job as a palace musician. Can you see how it is going to get crazy? This is going to be a soap opera story for him. This is going to be a mess. So David, that's the backdrop. David is the little music man. But while David is the music man, Israel is in dispute with one of their neighbors, the Philistines. And they're preparing for war. Now this is a very different time of war, okay? They would take each take a hill they would each take a hill with a valley or ravine in between them and just sort of stare at each other and maybe try to come up with some kind of strategy, but no one would ever want to give up the high ground, right? Just kind of waiting to see if another one would make a mistake or maybe they would just both go down. So they're both kind of preparing for war up here. But the first day they get there looking across this ravine, across this valley at the Philistines, the biggest Philistine of all, Goliath, this nine-foot, nine-inch giant comes down into the valley. And First Samuel writes, wearing 125 pounds of armor. It's like four or five football uniforms. And it says that the tip of his spear weighs 15 pounds. You just think about holding up a spear with a 15 pound. I mean, that's just trying to show you the size of this guy. And he comes down wearing all this armor, this huge, almost 10 feet tall, and this is what he says. Goliath stood and shouted at the ranks of Israel. And I worked all week long on a Goliath voice. I don't think I have one. Um, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines Philistines said, this day... I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites cowered in fear. They were dismayed and they were terrified. This, my friends, is a big, hairy problem. What do you do when the battle you are fighting has got an opponent you can't beat? What do you do when the war you are waging has a champion that you can't win against? What do you do when you've got a big, hairy problem standing in between where you are and where you feel called to go? A nine-foot, nine-inch problem. And check this out. 1 Samuel writes... That Goliath does this for 40 days. 
for almost six straight weeks. I mean, they're camped out. He gets up every morning and shouts the same mess. Give me the best you've got. I'll defeat him and I'll kill or enslave the rest of you. But whatever it is, you can't beat me and you ain't got a single person in your army that can beat me. And you know what? I think you know that feeling. Sometimes we wake up and it feels like our big hairy problem is screaming at us of how it's going to beat us. You ever heard that voice when you wake up in the morning from your big, your big hairy problem? You're never going to get out of debt. You're never going to be good enough. Your coach was right. You're nothing from a nothing town and a nothing family. You're a sinner who is too far gone. You have too sketchy of a past. You're just an addict and a junkie. You can't beat me. You're already beat. Nobody loves you. That, she proved it when she walked out on you. He proved it when he left you. You deserve to be sick. You can't beat this. You deserve to be lonely. You deserve to be fired. In fact, you are unhirable. You are nothing. In fact, some of you hear that story with Goliath and you're like, 40 days? It's nothing. I've been hearing that voice for years. I've been hearing that voice for decades. What is... What is threatening to defeat you every single day? Do you have a giant that it feels like wakes up every morning and goes down into the valley and screams at you how you can't beat it? I mean, that's your big hairy problem. And I wish I could tell you, I wish I could tell you that there was like a magic prayer you could pray and you could make it go away. But here's what I think. Here's what we're going to learn from David. I think God wants you to find inside of you what David found inside of him. Now, while all this ordeal is going on, David is clueless because he's a 15-year-old boy. He's a music man right in the palace. (laughs) He's like hanging out with the other harp players or the trumpet player. I don't know how many music people there are in the palace. He's in the band. He's a lover, not a fighter, right? He's a music man. And when he's not a music man, he's going back to help his father out with the sheep, which he's doing now because Saul is off in battle or, well, you know, that's generous to say that. He's, he's, he's off sitting, at the, sitting on top of the hill looking over the, the ravine every morning look, watching Goliath come screaming his army. So David's back helping his dad with the sheep, and then one day his dad, Jesse, comes to him because his three oldest brothers are in military service with Saul, and Jesse's concerned about them. They're not getting news. His Twitter's not updating. He doesn't know what's going on in the war. So now Jesse said to son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. I mean, he knows they're out fighting, but they don't know what's going on. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit and see how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. So listen, I want you to go help feed them, uh, help them, you know, whoever's in their unit, take these, che- these cheeses to them and then come back, let me know like how things are going with them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. This is a generous term, fighting. They are with all the Israelite army listening every morning to Goliath do smack talk. That's what they're doing. 
So David goes, he takes the food, and while uh, he's there, he hears Goliath get up and do his morning spiel about, you know, what he's going to do, make his daily threats. And, of course, the Israelites shrink in fear. No one wants to go out and fight him again. You know, is this the 40th day? Is this the 41st day? But David, he hears kind of some rumors going around the camp. Saul has promised that if anyone could defeat this giant, that Saul will make them wealthy, he will give them money, he will give his daughter in marriage to them, and then check this out, he will guarantee that their family will be tax-free for life. Pretty good deal. And David is intrigued by this. Who wouldn't be interested in that? But more than anything, David's heart burns for God. He hears what this giant says, what this big, hairy Philistine says. And David, mm, it burns him on the inside. In fact, here's what David says to all the other soldiers that are there. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Who does this guy think he is? His gods are made of wood and stone. They're not real. And friends, I just want to know, I want you to know, those voices that have been yelling at you, that giant that's been screaming those threats at you every single morning, have you considered the voice you're listening to? And David says something here that I want us to get that is the whole point of the story, that the God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. The God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. David's like, do you know who we serve? Do you know who I serve? Who is this Philistine? And David is so confident, and he's like, just like, he's so bowed up before the words even get out of his mouth. He's like, I'll do it. I ain't scared. And then he's like, did I just say that right? So Saul he hears that David has volunteered, and uh, he brings this, the young man over to him, and at first he tries to talk him out of it. He says, listen, son, I, I mean, not only, not only is he bigger than you, but when Goliath was your age, he was already in military training. He, he, he is not only huge, he does not only have a size advantage, he is a trained assassin. And let me get this straight. You want to fight him, and you play the harp and tend your father's sheep, right? But listen to this next thing that David says to Saul. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. That's right. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock... I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be just like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this 
Philistine. Come on, don't you, I mean, don't you, you have no idea how God has been preparing me for this my whole life. This joker, Saul, he will be just like one of those animals. Hey, Saul, which one do you think I'd rather fight? A 400-pound lion, a 600-pound bear, or this loudmouth? Saul, I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. And Saul answers, oh, not exactly. But close, Saul's response is, well, then go. The Lord be with you. Okay. And maybe if you've read this story before, you know there's kind of this funny scene, right? There's this funny scene then where after Saul agrees to, you know, send him off, he's, he's like, well, bring him here. And they, they try to give David some armor. And, it, it, you know, it's like, 10 sizes too big because he's a 15-year-old boy and he kind of looks like a toddler walking around in his dad's shoes. And he just, I mean, it's just clunky. And David finally, he like puts it off and, uh, and, and he picks up his shepherd's staff and five smooth stones. And every one of the Israelites think he's, thinks he's crazy. Saul thinks he's crazy. Goliath, he's downright offended. In fact, listen to what the giant says. He looked David over, and he saw that he was little more than a boy. Like, like that's what you would describe a 15-year-old, right? It's like, yeah, he's got a little peach fuzz, a little more than a boy. He's glowing. This is this word last week, if you were here last week, ruddy. It's one of the few times it's in the Bible. There's only three times this word. We don't have a good word for it in the English language. It's just he's got flushed cheeks. He's reddish. He's baby-faced with health and handsome, and he despised him. I love this. David, Goliath looks at him. He's like, it's a cute little kid. I hate him already. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give you the flesh, give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Come on, come here. But Goliath has miscalculated the battle. He thinks it's a mismatch because David doesn't have the right weapons, the right training, or the right size. But David looks into the eye of this giant and he said, hey, buddy, listen, it's a mismatch, all right, but it's because you don't serve the right God. And with the greatest smack, if you like smack talk, you like trash talk, this is the greatest smack talk in the Bible. And with the greatest smack talk in the Bible, David looks at this giant twice his size, three times his size, maybe, who knows. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. Good for you. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied this day. The Lord will deliver you into my little teenage hands. And I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world's going to know, big guy, that there is a God in Israel. 
And all those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Every single one. David didn't carry a sword or spear into the battle because the Lord didn't need him. This was the Lord's battle. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who was not made of wood and stone. The God that is known by name Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord didn't need a weapon. He is the weapon. The God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. And what I love about David is he's so confident in this. He believed it so much. It's not lip service. And listen to the next verse. He proves it. The Philistine moved closer to David to attack him. And David, I love this, ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. He ran headlong into it, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He took five. He'd only need one. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. He ran toward him. He attacked. Could we have the confidence of God? Here's another question I just have for you. Are you running away or towards your big hairy problem? I mean, do you get up every morning and try to hide from it? Because God can't show you how big he is if you cower small in the corner every morning. Could we have the confidence of the children of God to run toward our problems? I got to close it out with verse 51, okay? We got to close out the whole, sometimes we, we miss the last part of the story. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from its sheath. After he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. That's the part we usually leave out in children's church. <laughs> yeah, you know, Goliath, how I told you that I was going to cut off your head and you didn't know where my sword was? Yeah, well, I wasn't planning on bringing one because I was going to use yours. And I just picture David, like, with his sword standing on top of Goliath's body looking at the Philistines going, does anybody else want some of this? The God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. And the hope that we have in God, the hope that we have in Jesus, is not that he will make all of our problems go away. It is not that he will make our problems disappear or even shrink. The hope we have is that through the power of Jesus that one day we will all stand on the top of the dead body of our big hairy problem and look at the world and go, does anybody else want some more of this? Now, I know what some of you are thinking. I'm getting up tomorrow morning, and I'm going to charge into the valley in the name of Jesus. But some of you know it might not quite work like that. Your giant is cancer. You might not beat it. Your giant is divorce. And as much as you've tried, it doesn't look like there's going to be a reconciliation. Your giant is financial. And the dollar signs aren't going to disappear that you owe. Your giant 
there are consequences, maybe even some of them legal, from a mistake you made. And this is, this is where, I mean, we can read this story and we can get really fired up, but we can't miss this part because this is where David's story intersects with Jesus' story. It, that intersects with our story. Because Jesus' story for us is even better than David's story. See, Jesus said it this way. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. You see, the, the, the big giant that we all worry about is death, right? And some of you have some giants that you're thinking that you're facing and you're like, what if this kills me? Well, in Christ you live. That's the victory that we have in Jesus. So here's the last question I want to ask for you today. If you live even though you die, then what could possibly have power over you anyway? And you know the answer to this. What's the answer to this? Nothing. Nothing could have power over you if you live even though that you die. So cross that valley and look eyeball to eyeball with that giant. Start running toward it. If you want to be who God called you to be like David, you're going to have to face that giant. And I want to just tell you something. It may get you in round one, but one day you will have victory over that giant in Jesus. That is the promise of the victory of the resurrection. You have resurrection power coursing through your veins coursing through your veins so you pick up a stone come on stand up stand up and grab that stone if you got one when you came in you pick up that stone and you remember that you serve a God who only needed a tiny stone to defeat a giant and you serve a God who rolled a giant stone away to defeat death once and for all friends brothers come on the God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you the God inside of you is bigger than the giant in front of you. You have a resurrection God in you. You have a resurrection Savior. See, you go and fight, fight, fight in the name of the God of the angel armies, in the name of the God of the armies of Israel, in the name of Yahweh, the great I am, and in the name of the resurrected Jesus. You go and fight because this God is bigger than whatever you face. That's how we fight our battles.